welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. pray around the Word of God. This is the last in our series we've been looking at the Lord's Prayer. Very excited about this. Father, thank you for the Word of God that is alive and full of power. I pray our hearts to be receptive, open for your words, your instruction, your inspiration into our lives, Lord God. Not just information, but transformation in our hearts so that we can walk with you more closely and, uh, and that we would then be able to live out what we hear and receive and, and grow in you and influence our world in that positive way to lead people towards you. Thank you, Lord, your touch on each of us here today in Jesus' name. Amen. And again, welcome. If you're online, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. This is the fifth, uh, last one in a series. Let's look at Matthew chapter 6. Uh, which is um, Jesus responding to the uh, disciples. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so he said, well, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This is the, uh, I think it's pretty much the New King James Version. You know, uh, hallowed be your name. You, the, you know, a new uh, living translation, modern translation says, uh, may your name be greatly honoured. So that's a, a good uh, easy to understand phrase, but then this is an easy to remember phrase because many of us have heard this, and it's good to memorise this. If you if you're walking around, and you don't know what to think or do, or you're standing in line, you're out in the countryside, or walking on the beach or something, and you've got this in your mind and your heart, then you can just use this constantly throughout your life. Wonderful pattern of prayer that Jesus gave us. So make sure you memorise this. I think the kids are all working on this as well in our children's ministry, yeah? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Wow. So as I said, Jesus spoke to the disciples and to us in response to their request, Lord, teach us how to pray. And he said just before we read that that passage, this is how you should pray. Now, it's not the only way we should pray. Of course, God wants us to have a, a real relationship, walking, talking, sharing, just naturally. But it's a great outline to follow and notice that he said this is how you should pray now I don't know about you when I hear the word should is it the convict in me is there something in us as Australians I don't know there's something that recoils when someone says should something that says you're telling me what I should do I don't think I want to do that in that case I don't feel like it it's not what I want to do don't tell me what I should do don't tell me what I must do and uh and so we've got to watch that because um, sometimes you miss out if you, if you recoil too strongly to the shoulds, not just commandments, even suggestions. Um, because, you know, I, I, I don't, yeah, like I said, I feel like I, 
I want to do just, I just want to do what I want to do. But when I do what I should do, I end up with positive results. I end up liking, I end up enjoying what I was meant to do, what I should have done and I did do. Oh, now I'm glad I did it. And so, for example, I, you know, I, sh- I should clean my room. I should tidy up that part of the house. I should eat well. I, uh, I should exercise. You know, none of these things sound really inviting. But you feel better when you've eaten well when you've exercised, when you've got a nice tidy space in the house, you can find your way through and everything looks nice. And, you know, I don't ever, does anyone ever feel like exercising? I never feel like exercising. I'm going to, be, I'm going to interview that person at the end of this. I'm not going to identify who it is, but I saw a hand go up. That's amazing. I'm going to get you to lay hands on me. I mean, but I love the feeling having exercised. You've got the endorphins going, you know, those, what do they call them? Happy dopamine, you know, self-produced drug flooding through your system. And it, it, you actually feel better. It lifts your spirits, makes you healthy and all that. But I don't just wake up in the morning going, I'm going to go running. It's cold. It's raining even. Yay. You know, but you're so glad you did it. And so it's good for us to lean into the shoulds of life sometimes rather than just go stepping back and saying, because well, if I only ever ate what I felt like or didn't exercise or did, you know, life isn't as good, you end up being unhealthy. So it is good to lean into that. And it's especially true with prayer. It's especially too, true when Jesus is the one saying you should do something. I think, all right, Lord, I'll take note. And so, and so with prayer, classic example of something that we don't just feel good afterwards, we accomplish things when we pray. But we won't if we just dismiss the should, dismiss the instruction. Uh, But the Lord Jesus has given us instruction and an example in the life that he lived here on earth, how to pray. And so be a person of prayer. That's what I'm saying. Lean into it, adopt it, develop it, make it part of your lifestyle. Set some time every day to be in the presence of God, worshipping our Father in heaven, engaging with him, talking to him, sharing, listening, receiving encountering him, experiencing him. It's a very rich, wonderful, exciting uh, world that awaits us that some people, some Christians even, just hardly ever step into. Just a little perfunctory prayer, rushing out the door or whatever, but it should be, you like that, part of our lifestyle. Should be and can be and will be awesome when we do. Listen, Matthew Henry, that great Bible commentator on this passage said this, it is taken for granted that all the disciples of Christ pray. You may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. So there's so many people who sometimes say, I feel dead inside, I feel lost, I feel this, I feel down. Christians, and the answer is almost always, they're not praying. They're not living out of the Word of God. They're not receiving from God's Word. They're not encountering God personally. You can go through all the Christian motions. You can be in church. You can be busy. You can be serving God, but you're dying on the inside. You're cranky or you're dry or you're upset with someone. Or the, You know, put it this way. If you're, you know, Eleanor preached a fantastic message last week about forgiveness and how our forgiveness from God is linked to our forgiveness of others. Amazing and brilliantly unpacked. Very important. So many people are 
you know, bound up with bitterness and unforgiveness. It's very hard to hate someone when you're praying for them. <laughs> you go into the presence of God and you, 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 put a, you put a timer on and say, I'm going to pray for them for f- just five minutes. It's going to do you good, release them, bless them. And so um, uh, I just feel an encouragement in this whole series that we're not just looking at some doctrine or some verses of Scripture to analyse, but it's a call to prayer. Jesus wants us to pray. We, we should pray. We'll love it when we do, and it'll produce great results. And, so, and, of course, if you don't know how to pray, here's a great outline, as I said. So uh, in review, our Father in heaven, worshipping him, great. We come before God, not with complaint, but with thanksgiving, with worship. I just read yesterday in the Bible, I think it's Psalm 107, verse 1, give thanks to the Lord. And it struck me that, oh yeah, sometimes it's a real give, to give thanks. I don't feel like giving anything. Well, it does you good. Give thanks to the Lord. Make the effort. Come into his courts with praise and thanksgiving. Worship him, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. May your name be greatly honoured. A very good platform positioning ourselves the right way before God. And then, of course, um, your kingdom come. We talked about God's rulership in our life. Your will be done on earth. Really good for us being aware of what's going on on earth and not just to complain about it, but to pray for God's will, especially at the moment, especially going on in our country and around the world. And it's good that it takes us beyond just praying for ourselves. We start praying for God's will to be done Oh, in our community and that person and on earth and over here. And, and so it's very good. We become world-minded Christians, bigger than just you know, focusing on ourselves, part of something bigger. Um, so we talked about that and then Ruth preached about uh, God's provision. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. Not just physical bread, but every part of our life, God will meet every need we have spiritually, emotionally, socially, mentally. God's a great provider. We come to him and we are unashamed to ask him for provision. And then, as I said, Eleanor, uh, last week, I watched it online. I encourage you, you can get the podcast, share it with other people. Very good message about forgiveness. Very important for people to get onto that. So today, let's look at this passage. Jesus said, pray this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Huh. So notice firstly, he says us, lead us. Don't let, don't let us, let us into temptation, deliver us. So again, prayer isn't, and life isn't something that we should be doing in isolation from others, but engaged with others as part of a community, praying with others, praying for others. That's why he said, let's pray our Father. Not just my Father, he is my Father, but Jesus reminds me if I pray this way, oh, I'm part of a family, our Father. Lord, lead us, all of us. Don't help my mate, my neighbour, my friend, my loved one. Us, not just me, but the others around me. Help us together to move forward, go in the right way, away from the wrong way. And so that's not good to notice. And then notice the leadership. Lead us. We pray for God's direction, God's leading. He's our leader, our Lord and leader, and he will show us the right way, the pathway to follow in life. If we ask him, it's, it's not rocket science, as they say, but some people just don't ask. 
and uh, and it's it's frustrating when we for ourselves for other people and and don't let us go into temptation that's the leading we want in other words it's a prayer God help me live a holy life it doesn't sound it doesn't mean a weird life just a, the right life it doesn't mean some kind of ascetic monk living you know top of the mountain kind of deal but a godly holy life means not led into temptation avoiding the pitfalls of temptation and that leads to evil that is in the world around us let's just talk about temptation for a minute and identify it because okay first of all there's evil in the world and there is an evil one because some translations oh there it is look New King James even says deliver us from the evil one or from evil so the evil one obviously being the devil there is a devil he is evil he's real he hates you he hates God he wants to lead you away from God he wants to lead you from life to death from light to dark from truth to lies from good to bad that's that's all that's what he's got to offer and of course sin will take us where he wants us to go with him into evil but he can't make you sin. And, and he's not dumb enough to, to show you the terrible consequences of sin and then say, do this, you know, that's going to repel you. So he uses temptation. He wants to present to us something that is really bad but make it look like it's really good. And, and he wants to trap and, and lure believers away from God towards sin towards wickedness towards evil and he's a schemer you know the bible says we have to be aware of his schemes remember adam and eve back in the garden of eden devil had them think that the fruit that was forbidden would be really good would be appealing and he planted little seeds of doubt he said he didn't start off by just having a go at god and trying to lure them away straight up. he said uh, did God really say, question the word of God, did God really say you can't eat? I, I don't know. Adam and Eve were like, I, I thought he maybe, did he? I don't know, maybe he didn't. And then he ends up saying, you know, no, it's, uh, it's good. The fruit's good. He's very subtle. And um, so he's never going to say to you, stop following Christ. Stop going to church. Follow me. You'll have a terrible life and you'll go to hell. What an invitation. You know, he just doesn't come across that way. But he might say, did God really say that? Is the Bible really true? Is that really what you believe? Are you really going to be so fanatical about your faith? So, you know, you have to really get carried away. Why don't you try this instead? Why don't you just back off and settle down and just subtle little suggestions and, and there's a slippery slope from being a committed Christian full on for God. We're not going to wake up one morning and just go, I'll be an atheist. I'm going to turn from God and have a terrible, you know, it's not going to happen. But he does work with temptation, leading, luring people. Another avenue of temptation is that he takes something that is good, that God has designed, because devil can't create or design anything himself, but he can twist it or distort it and present it then in some way that is wrong. It was a good thing, but it's, but it's being presented in the wrong way. So like uh, 
uh, it can be something to be taken at the wrong time, like sex before marriage, something that's good but in, a, in the right context, or um, at the wrong quantity, like food, <laughs> you know, gluttony. It's like, that's fine. God says enjoy everything but don't eat too much all the time, you know. Um, or just in the wrong way, like current worldly values uh, with sexual persuasion and gender identity that's being uh, a, a rocky road for a lot of young people in particular to find out what is true. And the devil's taking and twisting and perverting things and saying this is, uh, or, you know, this is, this is the way it should be. And so temptation exists. Second thing to note is that temptation in itself isn't sin. You don't have to repent from being tempted. And, and so the devil condemns. The Bible says there's no condemnation in Christ. Condemnation comes from the devil. And people sometimes are very quick to feel condemned because that's a thought that is implanted from the enemy. And then they feel disconnected to God because you're unlikely to pray if you feel condemned. You never be condemned just because you've been tempted. But taking that thought and then developing that little tempting thought and following it and feeding it, well, that can lead to behaviour. That is sinful. That will take you from God. That can lead to habits. So there can be a progression. Look at this passage in James chapter 1. Have we got that up there? Uh, James chapter 1 it says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, because that's the devil's job. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Right? I don't know who would say that, but obviously some people had in the first century. But anyway, I don't understand the thought process. But if that's, if that's you, then don't blame God for temptation, okay? But look what happens. Each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Watch this. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. So see this progression? Temptation's not something to freak out too much about, about as long as we deal with it. But people can get tempted. They get enticed. There's evil desires in us. I mean, deliver us from evil. <laughs> I'm getting ahead of myself. But just when we pray, deliver us from evil, sometimes aren't we praying, oh God, deliver me from myself? <laughs> sometimes, we, sometimes we make stupid decisions. <laughs> I know, uh, you know, um, anyway, I'm not talking about my own stupid decisions right now, but I, I, I may have made one in the last couple of days. To the point that John enjoyed, this big John here enjoyed the pleasure of my company on the back of his motorcycle because mine wasn't working. And uh, it was a, 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 a terrible experience. Uh, for both of us, because it's a little disconcerting, I think, for him. Most motorbike riders don't want blokes on the back. They're happy for a lady, but um, not a bloke. And most motorbike riders, all motorbike riders, do not want to go on the back of another guy's bike, especially a maniac who doesn't <laughs> slow down uh, at the corners when you should slow down. And um, anyway, so, so Lord, deliver us from uh, uh, ourselves. Sometimes... I may have made a dumb decision that made my bike not work. That's all I'll say. Uh, but, of course, John's probably told half the church already the details. So, oh, praise the Lord. Back to the Bible. So, uh, but look at that progression. We have our evil desire. We get enticed. And then desire conceives. And then it gives birth. 
And then sin, which is born out of evil desire, because now we're talking about a behaviour, then it's fully grown and it gives birth to death. So sin grows. You can nip it in the bud, you can stop it, you can repent it, or repent from it, or you can let it run its course and lean into it and it grows. And then it itself, it says, gives birth to death, spiritual death, eternal separation from God. Wow. But that progression doesn't have to occur because what we can do is recognise the temptation early on and then we see, whoa, that's going to lead towards evil and sin and it's going to get fully grown and lead to, I'm not giving birth to that. And so we snuff it out early. Yeah. And so, uh, and notice how God will help us because we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation. We ask for God's direction and assistance. And because the fact is we're in a spiritual war. Like I said, we've got an enemy. Devil hates you. He's out to get you. But you don't fight this war by yourself. Praise the Lord. We don't have to face temptation and evil alone. Because right here, Jesus instructs us to ask for God's help. And he will. And look at this passage. You may know this passage. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. In other words, everybody somewhere on earth at some point has faced the temptation that you're facing. And it says, look, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. That's really worth knowing because sometimes don't you think, oh God, this is terrible. You've got no idea. I can't, why? This is impossible. No one in the whole world's ever faced. No. And he says, but watch this. With the temptation, God will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Wow, so temptation can entrap you like a prisoner of sin, but you don't have to live there. You can escape. I'm glad to say I've never been in prison, but if I was, it would be nice to escape. Actually, probably better to serve your sentence and then you won't get caught and put back in. But, you know, if it was for some unjust reason you had cause for escape, that'd be a good feeling until you got caught, you know. So, But uh, if you're really escaping and never having to go back again, that would be awesome. Well, my closest experience would be those escape rooms. Remember we did that? Aaron got us to do one of these escape rooms for our board. And have you done this? You know what this is? They set you up in a room and then there's all these clues and you've got to try and get out. And uh, I just wanted to knock the walls down, you know. <laughs> and, and there's a helper, there's an assistant. And if you really can't figure it out, and I th- do they step in or do they give you a little... I think, did he say something? Don't forget to look in the second drawer, you know, or some, oh. And you got all these little clues and you unlock things and you finally <gasps> escape. It's such a relief. And, uh, and so God is like this escape room attendant when you can't figure life out and you need his help. And I think we did. I can't remember if we got out. Did we get out in time or did we die? We failed. Wow. Oh, there you go. <laughs> that's your board. That's your board of elders, church. We got no idea, but it's okay because God helps us escape. And, and church is not just an escape room. Yeah. Um, anyway, so uh, just like an escape room, you know, God will help you out. Um, and notice, like I said there, notice whatever you're going through, it's not unique. Even though we're tempted to think, no, 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 you have no idea what I'm going through. Well, somebody has, and God knows, 
who has. And, and God not only knows, he understands, Jesus, look, in, uh, I don't think these guys have got this scripture, but it's Hebrews 4, maybe about verse 15. It says, we do not have a great high priest who cannot sympathise with our sins. Do you know this passage? So it's talking to Jewish people who related to the Old Testament where they had priests. And Jesus is the great high priest. And the writer of Hebrews is telling the Jewish people, listen, think of Jesus as a priest, but he's the perfect priest. He's the great mediator between us and God. And it says, we do not have a high priest who does not sympathise with what we're going through, but has been tempted in every respect, yet was without sin. And uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, Hebrews 4.15. It's Hebrews-ish, Hebrews 4-ish. You know, you can look it up later. But it's, isn't that wonderful? Jesus came to earth, what an incredible thought, lived as a man and suffered all the temptations that we experience and yet was without sin, was perfect. So when you pray, you, cannot, you, 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 you can't pray, Lord, you have no idea. He has every idea. You should pray, Lord Jesus, you know exactly what I'm going through. And so please help me to overcome this temptation. And God will show you a way out. He will lead you through His Word, through advice from other people, through some means. God will always provide. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Isn't that good to know? So don't get the devil filling you with those lies of, oh, I couldn't help myself. Temptation was too strong. Or this is overwhelmed. I'm overwhelmed by evil. I'm overcome by sin. There's nothing I can do. I'm beyond God's help. No, God is always, his arm is not too short to save anyone, no matter what we've done. And you make sure you tell other people this. No matter what they've done, it doesn't matter how evil or wicked or sinful or tempted they've ever been. God loves, forgives, has grace. Isn't that awesome? And Jesus understands, relates, and forgives us. So take heart. Be encouraged. Don't let the devil condemn you. And, uh, and, and of course, we're living in a world full of evil and sin and wickedness, but we can carry on resisting the devil, following God, being led by God to live a healthy, holy way. Amen? Okay, let's consider the next section what deliver from evil looks like. Well, as I said, we already talked about being delivered from ourselves sometimes. But um, look, I reckon when you think of evil, this is my admission, see if you relate. If we think, deliver me from evil, what's your first kind of concept of that? Probably we think anything that's unpleasant in my life is evil. Anything that I don't like is bad, so the things that I want, the things that I'd like, the things that are pleasurable, the things that make me happy, that's got to be good. That's where I want to go. So anything that isn't pleasant, God, deliver me from that. So the prayer subliminally, if you like, or subconsciously, is kind of when we pray deliver us from evil, probably equating to something like, God, please change things uh, so that they work out to be just the way I expected. <laughs> you know, um, And that will make me happy. Amen. But life doesn't work like that, does it? Um, because to be delivered from evil really means just being delivered from the devil's will to be in the centre of God's will. And that may often be, praise the Lord, pleasurable, happy, wonderful. But life isn't always perfectly happy, wonderful, smooth sailing. And it may even be God's will for us sometimes to experience situations that aren't altogether a bed of roses. 
And God works that out. And there's a lot of passages in the Bible that says, count it all joy when you face trials because it's good for you and it builds your character and all this. And so, you know, the, the pain we experience in life or the problems we, we might face or the persecution we suffer for standing up for Christ, these aren't necessarily evil. These aren't necessarily the things that we need to be delivered from. They, they are, like I said, sometimes they're part of God's will. It's just part of life. Because God's will doesn't always mean that we're going to live in this state of perfect, pleasurable comfort. In fact, at its most extreme, consider for a moment the martyrs of history. Now, I think one of the best books you can ever read is Fox's Book of Martyrs. I've mentioned that a number of times. It's a wild ride, a wild read. This guy, hundreds of years ago, collected all the records of so many martyrs all throughout history and the crazy things they went through. I've been reading another book recently, a, a history book on the church. And, you know, the first few hundred years of the church, there were lots of stories of revival, wonderful growth in the church, very exciting. But right alongside are these stories and records of terrible, brutal persecution that led to many believers being tortured and killed. Because, um, you know, the Roman Empire, they were booming, time of Jesus, they were at their height. But a couple of centuries later, certainly by the 4th and 5th centuries, like 300, 400 AD, the Roman Empire was in decline. And some of the emper emperors figured, you know why? You know why this is? We have not been honouring the gods. They were really religious. The Romans were quite into their pagan false gods. And they figured this Christian God has been getting too much attention. It's been growing. It was like 10, 20% of the cities in the first couple of hundred years uh, in the Roman Empire, people were being born again. More, It was growing and growing. And they thought, this is not right. We've got to make sacrifices to the pagan gods. So there were edicts sent out by the emperors, and they've got records of them at different times, and sometimes not the emperor from Rome, but some local tribune or consul or, you know, governor. And they'd say, everyone's got to sign this pledge and then present it to the local council to say that my family and I have made the necessary sacrifices to the pagan gods. And that's why Paul writes, you know, in Romans about food sacrificed to idols and Corinthians uh, and whether people should eat it or not because it's got a stamp on it from the marketplace and, you know, the clash of cultures here but they were going so far as saying no no we need you to pledge your allegiance to these pagan gods so that would really test a true christian and so many of them believe many of the, the believers refused and so they were persecuted as a result and, uh, and in, in the year 303 emperor diocletian ordered one of these edicts and he ordered that all the churches would be burned all the christians who didn't uh sacrifice to the pagan gods and bring the little certificate of pledge that they'd done so, they were rounded up and they were forced to deny their faith or be killed. And a lot of them were killed. Uh, one Christian leader named Peter stood his ground, not Peter, Jesus' times, but 300 years later. It was uh, documented that this guy was uh, stripped, raised from the ground, whipped, had salt rubbed into his wounds and then slowly roasted alive. And, uh, but here you go, and there's lots of other stories like that, but, but the church kept growing. The church prospered 
in amongst all this persecution. And the historian who wrote this book, Rodney Stark, says this, Christians were put through such an amazing array of tortures that it seemed beyond credibility that anyone would persist in their faith, especially since most could have escaped at any point by simply defecting. But again and again, they bore it all. In fact, the church fathers were forced to frequently forbid voluntary martyrdom in an effort to prevent zealous members from presenting themselves to authorities. Did you get onto that? <laughs> People were like, all right, the world's going to pot. This is crazy. We can't really practice our faith properly. I'm not going to pledge allegiance to these false gods. I'm going to heaven sooner or later. I guess it's sooner. I'm going down to the local council. Bye, mum. I'm off to martyrdom. See you in heaven. Bye. And, you know, just lean in. And the church fathers are like, guys, guys, just if you can survive, please do. Don't lean into it too much, you know. Just So people were just so uh, gutsy in their faith. They're like, bring it on. What can you do? Take my body. You can't take my soul. I'm going straight to glory. I'm just getting an early mark, you know. Kids at school loved an early mark. Don't you remember that? It's just kids. Come on, teachers. You know, the kids are, are, are actually... I don't think you're allowed to. That's the last time, the last time I toured up the road. It was a bummer. That was one of my best things I had. I can't do it. Early marks. Like, oh no, they can't go early. <sighs> anyway, so maybe what's that? One minute. They're allowed to go one. Oh, you got one minute early mark. All right. <laughs> so um, how about? All right. Listen to this. I'm coming to a close in the next couple of hours. Uh, Bishop Ignatius of Antioch was sentenced to die in the Roman Colosseum. So he's in Antioch, way over in the east. And they said, right, you're gone. You're going to Rome. You're going to be eaten by the lions because that was part of the um, entertainment they provided in the Colosseum. That's how debauched. So don't think, can I just say this? We look around at the world now and we think the world's seen nothing like this. The media say this, don't they? We've never seen anything like this. The world, we've got a worldwide pandemic. Of the world's of, No, no, the world's been through, th- through some pretty bad times. I mean, imagine going down to footy stadium, forget the rabbitos and the eels or whatever. It's the Christians to the lions. That's literally what happened. And, uh, and Bishop Ignatius, no privileges for being high up in the church. You're more of a target. So they said, all right, you're being sentenced. But he was allowed a long journey to Rome sailing through the different places and he wrote letters along the way that have been recorded and kept and so one of the letters he he wrote that he was so afraid that the influential Christians in Rome would arrange to have him pardoned because some of them worked their way up in society or some had been born again from high positions in society he didn't want it so he wrote to them he sent them a letter that said this suffer me to be the food of wild beasts, which are the means of making my way to God. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to back down at all. So what do we learn from these accounts? Well, first of all, like I said, nothing will stop the church of Jesus. No matter what the devil comes up with, whether it's subtle temptation or outright persecution or strong opposition, it's, the church is always going to advance because Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so that is of uh, uh, something to take heart 
as a believer, uh, no matter what people suffer. Um, and secondly, my point out in all that is to notice that being delivered from evil isn't the same as being delivered from pain or persecution or suffering because for those people, that was God's will. Now, I'm not saying <laughs> that we're all going to be martyred, praise the Lord, unlikely, uh, and I'm not saying that we should all lean into a life of suffering deliberately. Some Christians have really gone way off the deep end. There's two extremes I've observed in my 40 plus years of following the Lord. Some is that some Christians say, oh, we're all worms, sin is saved by grace, suffering, it's part of life, it's good for your character. If you're sick, oh, it'll make you close to God. No, it's like a bull, it's stupid. And then over here is also stupidity, which is, uh, oh, praise the Lord, I'm into prosperity, God's going to bless my life and Christian life is perfection and just, you know, crazy maybe kingdom now theology gone mad. Well, of course, life is balance and right here we have the blessing of God, a life of rich healing and health and prosperity and relationships and provision and God's going to bless you. And along the way, there's some tough times as well. And we take the good with the bad and we overcome. Amen. And so it's all good, as they say. Um, and, and so what do we pray for then? When we say, deliver me from evil, I'm not praying, God, make sure my life's perfect. What do I pray? Deliver me from evil means being delivered from deception by the devil. As I said, that's his most subtle weapon. That's his best, most effective weapon. The subtle temptations that'll creep into a Christian's life that'll take them from being full on, fiery and focused on the ways of God to being insipid, to being weak and wishy-washy like a Clark Kent Christian. And you know what I mean by that, you know? Superman, you know, if Ruth was here, she could do the whole spiel from the original TV show. You'll have to ask her to do it, you know, a uh, mild-mannered reporter from the Daily Planet. You know, so Clark Kent, here we go, he could do it too. Listen to Martin, as a, that's his party trick. Get Ruth and Martin to do it, Superman off in the courtyard afterwards. But you remember the original thing, they had the little phrase, you know, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, you know. And so remember Clark Kent, you know, he's, he's a nerdy, nice guy. He's just a sweet dag. He's, you know, he's just, yeah, hi, you know. And that is, that is what the devil wants. Like I said, he's not dumb enough to get you to deny your faith, but he can just tempt you to be weak, to be Clark, to be just, yeah, you know, nice, sweet, useless, you know, in a little box, enjoying life in just a little, little mini sad way. But God calls us, to be Superman. Now, I don't mean in your own strength, but in God, you can do all things through Christ who you know, strengthens you. And so God calls us beyond our natural abilities, in a sense, to be like Superman. And so, you know, he wants us to get into the telephone booth, which would be, let's face it, would be a problem for Superman today with mobile phones. There's no public phone booths. He'd be arrested be whipping his duds off in the street or trying to find some. The only phone boxes they've got, they haven't even got a, a door. It's just public. It'd be like, hi, sorry, it's important. I'm going to save lots of people. Don't arrest me. Woo, woo, woo. Who's this guy? Put your clothes back on. But, um, you know, so, but getting into the phone booth, that's getting into prayer. 
That's getting into the closet, the prayer closet. That, in fact, the verses just before Matthew 6 that we read, the passage Jesus talks about, don't pray out publicly all the time, blabbling along. He says, no, 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 go into, go into a secret place, close the door, get in a prayer closet, little room in the house or somewhere alone, solitude and seek God. That's getting into the Word of God. That's what God calls us to. That's being delivered from evil and being rescued and taken to that place where we are still on fire, still on for God. Come on. And so that's God's will. Not to be, you know, the nice Clark Kent guy, but to do something with our lives. And we often get the best things done in prayer. You know, we're not all rich and famous, but that doesn't mean anything in the kingdom of God. Some people think, oh, those guys, that person, he's so wealthy, so influential, a politician or a businessman or a sports figure or fame or whatever. No, no, no. Heaven is going to be full of people with mansions who no one has ever heard of. Because little Mabel Jones was a prayer warrior. And little, you know, old Fred Nobody just sought God. And he was just a, you know, a local brickish labourer or whatever. And, and yet he was a man of God. and didn't have to be on telly with big hair and a suit and, you know, man of God famous preacher man or anything, just just a man of God. And so let's get into that phone box, yeah? Praise the Lord. So let me finish. Um, yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Well, we, we end where we began in this prayer, to worship God, to be reminded that God's got it all under control. He's the king of the kingdom. He's the king of the greatest kingdom, an eternal kingdom, and it will continue forever with his, you know, complete, wonderful grace and power and we give him glory for that in all that we do. And so let us um, take this to heart and be people of prayer. Amen? Come on, let's come and pray as we finish. Wonderful. Oh, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. We love you. We worship you. We thank you. And Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you. You instruct us. You lead us. And you don't take us towards temptation, but away. You deliver us from the world, from evil. And, we, and you lead us towards you. Thank you, Lord. I pray for everyone listening here today. We would take that to heart and that we would be people of prayer. I just want to say this. If you have not walked with God in your life personally or maybe you have in the past but right now you're not talking and walking with the Lord I want to encourage you to reach out to Him in prayer with repentance from sin with a heart for His ways not just your own ways with submission and surrender and humility to say God help me I want to do it your way and He will come in the Bible says you'll be born again you get a brand new way of living. Or again, maybe you've prayed that in the past, but you're not walking with the Lord closely now. Then come and take this moment, recommit your life into His hands. Get that fire burning again in the heart. Live for Him. Seek first His kingdom. Everything else is going to be added to you. He's going to look after you. He's going to provide for you. Come on, we love you, Lord. Make that your prayer. Whether you're here this morning, you can talk to me afterwards. I'll pray for you. or give you some more information about how to follow Jesus. Or if you're watching online, you can send us an email. We can connect with you. 
go to our website and figure out how to connect and we'll be very happy to engage and help you to follow Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen. hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.